back and I have with me June Carter and then um, Barb, I think you need to show your video. Um, I don't see you image. I'm going to just hide this for now. So let me know when you're on. Um, anyway, welcome back. So uh, I had the course of times wrong. So hopefully those of you that tuned in earlier, you're back with us. And um, on the screen here, you can see June Carter. And June, while we wait for Barb to come on, why don't you introduce yourself for those who don't know who you are? Okay. Um, I am June Carter. My business is Just Solutions. That is Get Your Stuff Together, G-Y-S-T. I am an accredited staging professional master. Jenny was one of the um, amazing instructors. I am a certified ASP trainer. That's accredited staging professional through Staged Homes. I'm also a certified professional organizer, a certified productivity coach. I like certifications. And an associate certified coach through the International Coaching Federation. And um, that's who I am today. Yes, you have, you have quite the impressive resume when it comes to coaching. And um, I, as an aside, remind me, there's something, there's a, an opportunity that I just signed on with a, a company that is... Um, in real estate and has courses and stuff, but they have a coaching element that I want to get you plugged into. Sure. So, thank you. Great. You're welcome. And Barb Heil Sonic is with us. So tell people who you are and a little bit about yourself for those who don't know. We've been living under a rock. <laughs> absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes, you know, we're looking where it is, right? <laughs> absolutely. I am excited to be here, Jenny. Thank you for inviting uh, me and glad, you know, to uh, have June here as well. My name is Barbara Hersonek and I am the um, owner of Design to Sell. We're a home staging company, also serving the short-term rental market. And our core focus is luxury. I'm also a real estate investor and have expanded our portfolio, you know, more into um, investing again. So very excited about that. So that's a little. And, and you are um, featured in that book. I, I want to see where we can get that. You know, we should talk about that. So there is a book. Yeah, of the excited. Actually, three books are coming out. Uh, first launch was it's. Uh, it's powerful female immigrants and it's telling the story you know from the heart like uh, how you know how I came here and also some of the struggles going through all of these amazing women are sharing their stories their struggle and how they overcome all of that to make it um, you know here in the US so very exciting and the second book will launch in August, and that is about women in real estate. So again, it's a whole group of women and telling their story uh, in different areas, coming from investing, could be more real estate, could be more underwriting, could be multifamily, could be short-term rentals, so all different elements there. So that is coming coming out next. That is exciting. And, and, and I love, and I have, I have my... my um... Um, true confessions of a stagerpreneur. So I'm finishing that up and that'll be coming out. But oh. I, I love the collaboration books too, because I think, and the, and the one about women immigrant, I just think that's what a powerful stories I'm sure that are included in that. And I think, you know, everybody should read that, you know, even if you're not an immigrant, because I, I sometimes feel like we take for granted some of the opportunities we have in the U S and 
when you hear, uh, we just attended a, it was a luxury real estate event and there was a um, four different speakers. And one of the gals, she came from China. So her parents were both professors, but in China at the time, so I think she moved here probably in the, um, she was young, so probably in the nineties or something, but um, you couldn't buy a house in China and it was only for the very elite. So even though her parents were professors and educators, where they slept was on a mattress in the laboratory where the parents work, that's where they lived. And so when they finally had the opportunity to come to the U.S., you know, they came with literally like next to nothing. But her work ethic is so strong because she appreciates the opportunities that we have here that you don't have in other countries. And, um, there, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, well, it's me. You know, I want a handout. You know, like the, people can whine and complain here. And it's like, you have no idea how good we have it here compared to other countries. So I, I'm really looking forward to reading that book. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Thank so you. congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I have the PowerPoint. I'm going to see if I can get it in here. Um, if I do, let's see here. I'm going to probably kind of finagle things around on the. And, um, a shout out to Brigitte, who's the one yes. who actually put the PowerPoint together, who will be joining you in two weeks or so. Yes, she'll be here on the 26th. Okay. This, I guess this vision, this one probably works to do. And I, I can advance it. <clears throat> I think, oh, yes, I can. So um, let's go to the first slide here. I don't know how I got it. Okay. So this was this was the presentation you guys gave at the conference. <clears throat> I also have the printout of the questions here. So you let me know how you want to kind of handle things. Um, who wants to go first, kind of give sort of an overview of the, the topic? I um, think June. Yeah. It, <laughs> thank you, Barbara. <laughs> So Brigitte Engine, Barb and I were at the European Association of Home Staging Professionals almost just in, just a year ago. It was like 11 and a half months ago. And my husband was there, Peter, and talking to Barb and, and Brigitte, it was one of these, like they were saying to Peter, what do you do? And Peter is a contingency and continuity expert with um, the Federal Reserve Bank. And his specialty is large banks. And he was talking about what he does and what he looks for. And Brigitte and Barb, and then I, were talking about how they use those principles in running their home stager business. And we got all excited. And we created a panel to be submitted to you for the IHOSP conference this past February. And we were a really great team. We loved working together. Um, Barb has a big home staging company. Brigitte has a medium home stage company and I have a little home staging company. <laughs> so we really covered a lot of the basis. And, um, and especially coming off of COVID um, and so, so many people had so much happen in those few years, not just COVID, it seemed to be like a black cloud over everything. So in emerging back into life, this seemed to be a really good time for this topic. Anything to add to that, Barb? No, I think that was really the subject. And we feel as we are busy in our day-to-day -day operation, trying to improve, you know, that's all of the fires coming up. Uh, I feel often this element is overlooked and it's such an important one. And, uh, you know, when you whenever like it's the same part is like, you know, when you're flying an airplane, right, there are certain protocols, how to do certain things, how to, um, you know, what is the emergency protocol? 
and we felt it is an under-discussed subject and we felt we want to bring it to the forefront to bring more awareness so that people think about it and hopefully get into action to put a simple plan together so that things can still function and work no matter what. Which is really important. And I, it's almost like the, when, you know, I've shared this before talking about like exit strategies, <clears throat> it was taboo really to talk about ever leaving the industry and like closing your company or selling your company. Like, like we're all going to be doing this forever. And luckily that conversation is now part of the norm because this is a business. But I think what you guys were covering, you know, um, life happens and whether it's something that happens personally to you where you're out of pocket, like maybe you get sick or have some life event that happens or your family or something that takes you out of pocket, as I was sharing in this half an hour segment that I did, because um, I messed up the times, you know, having that ability to have the company keep running is important. And so I, I love this topic. And so let's get into it. I love this first slide. It's known, um, the contingency plan is known as a plan B, right? So what do you want to share about this slide? Well, I actually can't read it. It's okay. still on my screen. So it's a plan, plan device for oh, um, an outcome other than the usual plan. It's often used for risk management for an exceptional risk that, though unlikely, would have catastrophic consequences. Contingency plans are often developed to explore and prepare for any eventuality. And so it's being proactive versus reactive. Always thinking about what could happen. So the way Peter always puts it, and again, Peter would have been with us today, but he had cataract surgery on Wednesday and still can't look at bright lights. So he's fine. He's fine. But he, he was planning on being here, but he couldn't do it. Um, the way Peter always puts it is how long can you be out of business before you're really out of business? And what he means by that is how long can you go without any income hmm. before you really can't function. You really have run out of capital. So the contingency plan is in case of whether your personal health, global pandemics, disasters, 9-11s that disrupt your usual uh, train of business and all of a sudden you don't have it going the way you did, whether it is a lack of income or an overage of expenses or a loss of employees Whatever it is that happens, you, you want to be able to keep your business going. So we set up contingency plans, kind of looking in our crystal ball, saying, what could happen to us? And then right. so the continuity plan, which now I can I'm on a different screen now. Yes. The continuity plan is once that thing happens... And it may not be a disaster. It may be a, a treasured employee that carries a lot of stuff is pregnant. And that's a beautiful thing. But the, the continuity plan is, okay, now what do we put in place after the thing happened that disrupted our normal business? So just to read the slide out, slide out loud in case people are just doing audio, the capability of an organization to continue the delivery of products or services at predefined acceptable levels following a disruptive incident. In addition to prevention, the goal is to enable ongoing operations before and during execution of disaster recovery. And now you know what dinner table conversations are like in my house. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> so Barb, why don't you give you 
And it's not like, not like doomsday, like, but you have to kind of think like worst case scenario. And I played that out um, just in, you know, we, we did a boat trip to like Powell on the lake. And uh, one night we didn't, we couldn't find a beach to run the 70 foot houseboat and we couldn't find a beach to anchor. So we're floating in the middle of the, you know, Lake Powell with sheer cliffs on either side and there's a current. And so all we could see were two buoys and I actually called for help and they're like, you're on your own. Good luck. I'm like, thank you. And so there were two buoys and we, the ship kept like a, you know, boat kept turning around all night long, but every hour somebody had to get up and move it because we were drifting towards the cliff and people were like freaking out. And I said, I finally said, what's the worst that's going to happen. We're going to drift into the wall. It's not gonna be like a big crash. I said, I have insurance on the boat. And if that happens, We'll deal with it. And it didn't happen, but we had to kind of, you, you talk it out. So then it wasn't scary anymore. But I think a lot of people are fearful about thinking about this worst case scenario and putting plans in place because they don't want to go there. Absolutely. And I think you're hitting on uh, exactly on the right spot there. Often subjects we are trying to avoid, right? You know, we don't want to even think about it. That's, I think, is the, the scariest thing about it. Because when things are happening, then there is no plan in place to execute on. It's the same element, you know, we have to be prepared. We have to walk it through. It's the same when we're talking about a testament or will, right? In general, only as an additional example. You want to set that all up in a good scenario, right? Not when when it's like right. last minute and things cannot be defined. I feel it is very important. The same counts for business. So let's assume something would happen. Let's assume Barbara would be in an accident and, uh, you know, couldn't couldn't be there. So what will happen? Who has access? There are certain access somebody else might have. She froze. Yeah, and I, I agree. Um, when we got when we traveled the first time to Europe, and I'm not a I'm not like a you know black cloud person or doomsday, but I'm flying with my husband across overseas and I'm leaving my family home. And I, you know, if something happened to me, I didn't want them to be like, how do we get into the accounts? How do we access things? So I documented everything and my kids were like, Mom, you're being so morbid. And I'm like, but if something happens to me, I want you guys to be able to get to the things that you need. And so it's just being prepared, you know, plan for the best, prepare for the worst so that you are prepared, which is good. And I love this question because I know statistically, like the regular workaday world, most people are 90 days or less away from having no income, no, no way to support their lifestyle. They're like living paycheck to paycheck. And in our industry, you know, um, how much, you know, how much money should be set aside? What should be in a bank account as a contingency plan? You know, um, let's talk about that. You know, what what are your thoughts on that? I call it a prudent reserve. And when I do, when I teach um, ASP, our accredited staging professional class, which I think is the best training available in the home staging world, um, we do a pricing exercise. And part of that pricing exercise is putting aside a percentage of income monthly so that you have a prudent reserve for the bigger the company, I think the longer you need. It's a good rule of thumb, three to four months cash on hand to come, not to go into credit, not to go into debt, but cash on hand at all times in case something happens. Have a down month or um, whatever, or your expenses go higher, but to always have a prudent reserve. And then, you know, 
there'll come a time when you just don't have any income and you have to make some other decisions, but at least have a buffer until then. Yeah, I think the only thing I would love to add on that subject is coming and looking at, um, you know, savings and investments. I would say I would have my money never sitting. Mm -hmm. I would have my money always working for me. The important element is that I can access it. However, that flow comes in, it needs to be secured maybe by something else. But I feel it's very important to also encourage to think that money never should be sitting. It should be working for you all the time. So is, that's the only add-on. And that, that's really true. My mom, having she just moved out here, but she you know sold her house and they had paid it off. So she had a chunk. And um, she thought, well, I'll just leave that in the bank. And then every month that my independent living, because she's renting, I'll just drain the money. I said, no, we're going to put it in an investment. So I worked with Stephen um, and Frank Moyer with the, um, the family or the financial wealth plan. And so her money will work for her and derive money that she can live off of um, because of the where it's being put. So you can make money on your money. And certainly you, may, you guys may not know, I'm saying in general, the audience, when you put, leave your money in the bank, you know that they invest it up to seven times. That's your money that they're taking and investing. Why aren't you taking your money and investing it someplace? And so there's, I would love to have um, that as a topic too, like things that we can do to invest. I think that would be a fabulous topic for a show. Yeah, I would love to have that. So um, how long can you be out of business? And that's each person's individual. I know with COVID, I think that scared a lot of stagers straight, you know, thinking like, you know, oh my gosh, all of a sudden, none of us knew, like, can we work? Can we not work? Are, are houses still going to be for sale? Are they not for sale? And um, if people didn't have a wide enough business space, then their um, their income really suffered. And even when the interest rates, although a lot of us were impacted by the glitch in the interest rates, we stayed steady because I, I have a broad marketing, you know, base of clients. But there were, I on Facebook, you know, there were people that from November to like February, they had no work, nothing. And they're like, Oh my God, they just, they weren't prepared for that. And so um, I think it's something that everybody has to plan for. And I, so again, I love this topic. Um, let's look at the next question here. Can your business survive if you as a business owner, if you personally cannot work? Yeah. And that I think comes down to a lot of process and assignments, um, you know, going back to that access to information but also that all of the processes and responsibility have a backup person. So who is your backup person? And I feel um, and another good thought concept around is every business owner, as quickly as you start a business, my goal was always, uh, you know, took sometimes longer than planned or I wished for, to replace myself as quickly as possible. But, but I can tell you in the beginning, it might be different because my mindset was not there. Now, um, with, and I started two new businesses in the last uh, 12 months, my goal is to get myself as quickly as possible out of the business and more on the strategic part. If you are setting your mind then the process and the implementation of process is the key for 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 achieving that goal so you're thinking differently 
I love that um, uh, it was uh, a VA company and they interviewed the owner, you know, what he is doing. And he said he is putting all of this sticky notes. And I love that concept every day when he is doing something he is not supposed to do. He's putting it on the sticky note of actions, um, you know, and make sure that that is assigned to somebody else. So it's a constant, constant, constant mind shift change in how you plan your day and how you free it up and for what you're focusing on. As an example, I have uh, every day this 15 minute um, appointment with myself where the biggest question is, is what I do today making an impact towards the goals I'm having? And so therefore certain things will be prioritized differently. And if I have to move it three times, it has no importance and it's off the list. So uh, what I'm saying is, and again, text, right? You know, there are certain elements of things we have to do, but what I'm seeing in the priority towards that coming goals, right? Towards is this activity so important? Is, you know, this little, do I really have to dig in there? Does it have an impact on my top my, my top goal? So I feel that's um, that's an important part and maybe a nugget people can consider implementing. Uh, but mindset is that key part, right? Everything we're driving change with, and that's what we want to, it's encouraging, you know, what will have to change. So for me, it's actually also a great opportunity to go through this exercise because it would allow to consider and think about how could you replace yourself over time. And then June, I know, you know, with the coaching, you must deal with this as well. Um, let's just put it out there. People who are feel like they have to be the one doing the work. It's a control issue. It's them not willing to give up the control because they feel like it's that mindset, like I'm the only one that can do these a certain way. So how do, how do you, um, wh what do you do to address that with your own business and then with people you're coaching? Because I know that comes up. I just had this, um, <clears throat> some of the coaching is classic coaching where it's a collaborative path so that we're creating a structure to help you live your best work, life and home. But some of it's also mentoring when I'm working with a home stager. And I just had this the other day. Um, the first thing is um, if you have a partner or a trusted employee who's replaced you, as Barb described, get key man insurance. What would it cost if there was a sudden disaster and that person disappeared? How much would it cost to recruit, hire, and train, maybe relocate a person? Or if you, some of you know, I had a very, I was sick last year. I had breast cancer. Get your memos, everybody. I tell everyone that all the time. Um, who knew that was going to happen to me? And I couldn't work last year. Um, you get, get key man insurance. That's the first thing. The next thing so, is. So can we touch on that for a second? Because um, I, I remember hearing that at the conference and then it sort of like went out of my head. But um, are there, does any insurance broker provide that or? How do you get that kind no, of insurance? That's out of, that's out of my realm. And since we all have business insurance, right? We do right. We have business insurance. We never go into somebody's house without business insurance, right? Yeah. <laughs> Reminding our, um, our listeners, um, ask your, any, I think any insurance agent would know how to do it. But um, relating also to our previous conversation about sometimes there were things we don't want to talk about, like, oh my goodness, what if? And I'm an optimist. I'm an eternal optimist. 
but um, I do recommend getting wills done, especially okay. if you're a business owner with clear directions of what to do, whether the business should be liquidated, passed on, kept in a family, um, brought somebody else in to run it. But um, I recommend getting a will done so that you have, that, that's the ultimate contingency and continuity plan. And then um, having an HR policy, everything that Barbara just said, that is in, gather up all those yellow stickies and make it a legal workable document that and bring in, get outside help, bring in an HR professional, probably legal, <clears throat> or somebody at least certified through SHARM, that's the um, HR professional organization, and write it all down because when somebody quits Monday morning, which has happened to me, and you've got to have someone else step in instantly, it's like, here's the book, here's everything documented, follow these guidelines, I'm here to help you, but it's all here. And then it's a living, breathing document Everyone has to sign it, by the way. Um, and if, if um, we used to print those books out, now you could have it on a G drive and be constantly adding to it. It should be reviewed once a year, like along with an employee review. So that's like SOPs, like standard operating procedures. We talk about oh. that in the, the scale program. And um, and I and I think the um, it is really important to be able to have those things in place so that if you know if, if something happens, you can put somebody right in right in place. And I'll say with the will, um, I, I would recommend also doing a, you know, a trust because a trust can be a living trust right now. You put everything in your company, it's protected. There's financial benefits, tax benefits to doing it that way as well. And uh, because if your things in a, in a trust, I learned this from my, uh, from Stephen and Frank, you know, um, let's say that you have your business, your home, all your assets and things are in a trust. If somebody decides, well, I'm going to sue you, whatever, they can't, they have to not just sue you, they have to sue everybody who's involved in that trust. If you have the trust with a big company, they have to name every single one of those people. And most people are not going to do that, take the time to do that. So there's an inherent, um, you know, benefit with not having that legal action being taken, but it's also is a living document. And, um, and then as you, you know, you can, you can assign, a, you know, um, what is it? A state? Not where are they? The people that they're not they manage it, but when like when I pass away or whatever, there'll be somebody that'll be in place that'll kind of carry out the wishes. Yeah, an executive. Yeah. And a trust is not it's not a lot of money to, to put together, yep. um, but it's one. so it's so worthwhile, very beneficial. And not that and we don't need to scare anybody here. No. This is just reality. Yeah, you don't want to wait. You don't want to wait until something happens where you need it. It's like it's better to have and not need than to need and not have. When we use that for staging, like bringing items and it's better to have extras just in case versus not. But in this case, it's better to have your, you want to have your plans in place. And uh, so that you're, it gives you peace of mind. So here, let's talk about when a trusted employee leaves and um, when a trusted employee leaves and takes their intellectual capital or your intellectual property with them, how do you manage to continue your day-to-day -day operations? What do you do? I want to hear from Barb. Yeah. Well, I think that it comes down and you already touched on on it. Number one is business has to go on, right? Whatever other actions are happening um, that has to be put aside because business has to go on. So having your SOPs uh, in place and also your best practices and our suggestion in general is keep them short and sweet, break them down in digestible bites and for some of the more involved ones we're creating little videos so on our you know on your google drive or we are using sharepoint doesn't matter uh, you can have a whole segment of you know by department your key 
um, processes, their key operating agreements, the key SOPs, and then also links to some videos. And again, not overwhelming, but so whatever needs to happen that business can function, even if it is not down to the little, little tiny, tiny little grid, but that, that alone is helpful. Nobody will spend hours going through massive documents. The key is understanding what are the critical ones. And then, you know, you normally surround it with best practices. And in that scenario, it is one person leaving. So the culture and in general, best practices are still maintained by the rest of the team. But the action of that specific person and the key actions, they need to be assigned. Of course, being in business 16 years, this is uh, a rodeo we have gone through several times and you don't expect it's actually also sometimes it's a good thing, you know, you don't want to have it happen as right. quickly. But honestly, it is also a good thing. So in my experience, having a healthy exchange and bringing in new people in uh, is actually a good one. And five to seven years is in general um, a good time frame. So if you have a certain element of turnover, and I think it's also good. I even have promoted people out of their job. So I really encourage them to find something new because I also felt that they have reached their ceiling and that they can provide something else that might be in the first run. Um, you know, some people might have or employee personal was maybe a little bit, you know, struck by that. But down the road, one or two years later, they actually came back and thanked me for that because I felt it was, you know, there was not enough push anymore. So it's both sides, right? There's at a certain point, if you're getting people in the seats, that's not really good for business. And uh, for the other person too, because I want to always encourage growth. So if you see potential in other areas, I encourage. So what I did is, I gave um, a four to six week window, which is, you know, very nice. But I know also I trusted that person that they will not drop the ball. And, you know, so they, they were really engaged, but I wanted to have the opportunity to digest my suggestion and, you know, move on because I know it would, took, uh, would take a while. So that's one part. But pretty much we have, a, I pretty much can take my checklist. We know our key KPIs on how we're measuring the success of, you know, of that department. And then there is a true assignment who is taking on what, and it's pretty much uh, a 15 minute rundown of reassigning responsibilities. And, you know, even and when our key salesperson um, left, I had one rule, I will not pick up any phone, I will I will stay in my coaching seat and I'm not going into the business, which again is also a critical decision because it means I have to allow mistakes to happen. But what it also does, it is challenging everybody to do their best. Because if I jump back into that mm -hmm. seat, then it is allowing everybody else to step back. And I right. don't want that to happen. Which is very true. I'll have um, some of my team members will be like, 
you need to come into the warehouse. You need to be doing these things. And I said, I know if I come in, first of all, I'll probably want to rip my hair out because I'll, I'll see things that I'm like, why isn't this put away or why hasn't that been done? You know? And so, but I'm like, I don't have to be in there because I've empowered you guys to be the ones in the field. And it's not that I can't refine and correct processes. And I, you know, I know I probably need to go in at least, you know, have a team meeting at least once a week and, um, you know, but I don't have to be the one in the field. And when somebody does leave, because I had this happen early on, you know, I, I with the stagers, you leave and then they, they, they've been interfacing with your clients because you're, you know, hey, go work with this realtor or whatever, because I always did the marketing and, you know, brought the business in. And when they left, that relationship may follow them, even though I had paperwork in place to protect the company from that happening. And so, you know, and it, it happens in any industry, you know, it's always sort of disappointing when that takes place. Um, like you, you said, the business, you have to just keep moving forward. You can't, you can't stop yeah. and wallow. It's like, okay, what am I going to do? I just, you have to just immediately shift. And it's not that those people aren't held accountable or there wouldn't be some consequence, but it, you can't let that take you completely off track. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think in our industry, you know, it is relationship based. So, you know, you have a right as a staging company owner to protect your client base. Um, there is, or there are things you can put in place to protect. So it's a, um, it's a non, it's not a non-compete. Um, I think it's non-disclosure, but what it is, it's the, they can't come after your company and start pilfered if they decide to go off. So it is actionable, but you then, I would ask myself like, how much time do I really want to focus on here? Cause over there is the negative situation. Um, if I have the relationships and it's solid, then that isn't going to happen. <clears throat> um, but I, I, mean, I, I know that takes place in just about any industry. Yeah. So and I, I, I strongly feel always being proactive. So in situations yeah. like that, my first call of action, and then that is something I do as a, as a business owner, I called the client, uh, the client who was, you know, where the relationship was and was very upfront with that and could be both, both ways. I could have let that person go or that person decided to let go. And um, I had the conversation. I said, you know, we really value our relationship. We're working so many years together. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, blah, blah, blah left. And uh, But we have a wonderful designer we will put in her place. And I would like you to give us the chance so that we can prove um, how valuable you are to us. And uh, in general, that's what people like. If no conversation happens, that's when things are falling apart, right? So it's like, people want to know what is going on. And if they have built trust with you and the company, they're trying to support you. After that, if things are not, you know, sometimes you cannot, you know, there's only so much you can do. But I think the upfront communication, and always being straightforward is key. And then I was checking in, um, in the beginning, then it was handed back over to the team. So it was just, you know, to give it this special touch. You, we care because normally they are not uh, communicating with me. They are communicating directly with the rest of the team. So I, I, they felt, you know, special and kind of like said, let us know. And right. if there's anything else, you know, this is my phone number and, you know, communicate with me. I want to make sure it is done. This is our goal. Um, we want to protect our branding. Your expectation always has been that. Is there anything else I am not aware of or anything else you would expect? I said, no, kind of like it worked. It worked fine. 
And so that was, that worked out really, really well. And we're talking about value clients. We're not talking about the one-offs. So that's, you know, so that's a different scenario because there is a different element. You know, we have to build that relationship and that trust. But no matter what, this is what we did, either one-to-one conversations and at least like an email out if it is like, you know, one-off. So people who might do business with us a year. Sometimes we have not even made that conversation. If it's only once a year, um, then we have not really, uh, because there was not a specific assigned person in that right. scenario, no matter It's funny because sometimes clients will be like, what are you going to be doing this? Are you going to be on site? And I only want you. And I and I immediately edify the team. Like they've all been trained and accredited. I've mentored all of them. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of what's going on. I am involved on the back end, but I don't have to be the one putting the plant on the table. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. But yeah, but I, but I think this this scenario happens, you know, probably a lot more in our industry than we realize. I, I figured like it was when I had stagers being brought on the team, it was about 90 days as was sort of the honeymoon period. And at, at that point, I knew they either were going to stay or it wasn't going to work out. And I had a policy that because they were under my company umbrella, that only my brand was marketed for the you know, the projects and stuff that were for the company. And one of them, for example, I found that she was promoting her own company, you know, to the clients. And so when that kind of stuff happens and you, and it's not that I didn't like her, but it's like, this isn't working. If you want to build your own company, then do that on your own. But I don't want to be used for that. So um, nobody likes to feel used and taken advantage of. So I think this is an, it's an important thing to consider. And again, you can put some documentation in place to help protect you from having your client base rated or people using things that are um, not allowed. And there are already laws in place that prevent that anyway. So um, I just think it's, you know, just be aware that that can happen. All right. When there's too much inventory is coming back, what do you do? <laughs> I think we all feel this like at the end of the year, usually. Yes, so part is uh, an important element and staying, of course, on top of your inventory as well, understanding all of the cycles, right? When is it coming? How is it? When should we dispose inventory? Because there's always certain elements we're facing out over time. But what is the plan? Is it storage units? You know, can you expand somewhere else? So that should, you know, that should be ideally defined and so that there's no surprise. So luckily, uh, over time, and again, a lot depends also on the size of your warehouse. So you understand at what capacity you're running. So one thing our team in the last two years really perfectly has implemented is a green, yellow, red plan. What that means is we're looking at, and again, it depends on the warehouse and how your setup is. And we are working like we have 10 aisles. And so every aisle is getting a clear um, evaluation if they are green, yellow, red. So at what capacity are we running? Aisles are always clear, right? So there's a certain element. We know there can be a certain overflow in the aisles, but that is defined. So we have always a clear understanding of where we are going with the inventory. So it is not oh, suddenly now five, uh, you know, five trucks are coming back, the capacity has to be planned for. So you don't have the surprises unless it's clear that the inventory goes out very quickly. So it's really part of your logistic and actually your warehousing plan and how you can expand and or not. And sometimes moving inventory, if, you know, we call them curate, so some of the inventory might be able, because it's a nice set, which easily can be reused might make sense to store it externally um, because 
of the impact it has to the operation because we know when there's chaos in the warehouse it is slowing you down dramatically productivity goes down by 50 percent the designers cannot see warehouse uh, cannot function so it's really understanding that impact also on your productivity and on your numbers so this investment for a short-term storage unit sometimes can be a better one and or overflow. There's different ways in how you can address it. But if that is a truck you are renting, right? It can be, it really depends on how quickly inventory is moving. But having that in plan and empowering your team that they can execute on that plan will prevent that you're getting this call. Oh, our warehouse is full. What now? Right. So it, well, it's really coming down to a good planning and strategy and backup plan in place. So if we are now at red, you know, in 70% uh, of the aisles, I have to ensure that inventory goes out and, you know, that the, that that rotation is planned for. If that is not in that time frame, I have to go to plan B. It's, it's as simple as that. It's It sounds com complicated, but actually... So what is the yellow? What are the green, yellow, and red? What are they? Because I know that's like well, a stuff. At what capacity the aisle runs? So we have like you know, is there is the aisle full? Right? Is every slot taken? Oh, I see. That's uh, a red base. Do we have? So pretty much okay. at the end, you're looking at uh, at cubic feet, or your look for me. We we did a base is easy. How many capacity of empty base do we have? And how many? Oops, you're still there. I would okay. like to also address the small home staging business yeah. of this question. So first thing is, do you know your costs? Do you know your overhead? Do you know how much of that prudent reserve you have to put aside? So let's just say it's a, a 10 by 15 or 10 by 20 storage unit, small home staging company, and all of a sudden it's too much inventory. And in your line items of overhead, your biggest item is that $700 a month for that storage unit. Another storage unit doubles that. And where maybe you were at $1,200, $1,500 a month in overhead, you just went into the 2000s. That's a very different point of view. Another reason to have that prudent reserve is as you grow, that's going to happen. Your overhead is going to increase. And that's exactly how I grew. And I was waiting for the day when, whoops, I have too much coming back. I need to take the second storage unit, but I had planned for that overhead. So knowing our costs is critical to running the successful home staging business. And, and I'll share that when we were, the first warehouse we were in, uh, we, we ended up expanding into another, we doubled our size. But before that happened, we had a bunch of stuff coming back and I'm, we, we couldn't even move through the warehouse. So I actually had a container delivered so that, you know, if you're mm. in a situation, they will deliver containers and they, um, I was allowed to put it in the parking lot next to our warehouse. And then we stuffed that thing full. And then when the other warehouse opened up, we were able to get those things in. So whether it's a storage unit, a container, um, I mean, you, if you have a truck, you keep stuff on the truck. I mean, I, I've actually, when that, at that time frame, my garage, we ended up having to put everything in the garage. It was stuffed because it was like, I knew the stuff was going to go right back out, but it was just, we just did have that overflow. So uh, we're actually in the process of purging a lot of items out of that. Cause I inherited about 8,000 square feet of stuff in a warehouse. It was 16,000 square foot warehouse. So half of it wasn't stuff that I purchased. And, um, 
it's, you know, over time it's like, we don't use it. So it's like, it's taking up valuable space. Um, nobody wants it. I can't even give it away. So at this point, the next plan is basically getting the truck loaded. We're going to take it. We're going to have to take it to the dump. I mean, even the donation places are like, we don't want all this old furniture and it's in good shape. And I hate having to do that, but it's like, I don't want it in the warehouse anymore. And it's nothing I would have purchased, but that will then allow us to be more organized because what you said, Barbara, if it gets so stuffed and you can't even see what you have, what ends up happening, people just start grabbing the first thing that they see. And it may not be really like a stand the to standard that, you know, pulling a certain look together um, versus when you have the option to be able to see everything. I feel like the creative process is easier for sure. So. Yep, absolutely. And so important what June was saying, you have to know your numbers, mm -hmm. you have to know, you know, at what you're running, and also the impact of growth on your numbers, right? Because we know it's not it's not going up, right? Only because you have higher revenue. It's not, you know, it's not, a, it's not a straight line, right? There's a right. plateau, every growth sport hits a certain plateau, from which you have to recover with adding people adding new processes, uh, or split and dividing. So there is, you know, it's always a plateau. So you have, you know, it, you have, it's, it's important to understand that, mm -hmm. so that you can prepare for it. And that's where June and her services come in amazingly, uh, to really set this awareness and in her coaching to really remind everybody that this is such an important element. And then um, questions that weren't on the slides. So I'm going to read these. One, the first one is, uh, what is the recourse if all of your computers are wiped out? Do you have a do you have a backup plan? So has that ever happened to you guys? Oh yeah, I just right before this call, I raced a computer down to my guy, and, and it looks like the hard drive is fried. Okay, but guess what? Everything's on a backup hard drive, yeah. which backs up automatically every day. Right before this great. call. I walked in the house and this was the second office computer. And Peter said, what do you think's going on here? I said, I'll be right back. And I went to PCs or us and um, back up, back up, back up and back up more. We had, we had, when we first moved to Colorado, we were renting a house and about a year into the rental, the house flooded, we were gone and um, the pipes froze and burst. And, um, thank God that the water did not come in where the office was set up because I did not have a backup. I would have lost all of my family pictures. I would have lost everything if that had happened. And so that day I signed up for Carbonite and there's a lot of different backup programs that that's one, you know, backs everything up off site. It doesn't do programs, but it will do, you know, your pictures and your files. And then um, I have something like 300,000 files that they, they back up, but I'm realizing as I'm talking, I don't have it on this PC. And um, I've been looking at this PC oh, no. for like two years and not, not my other computer. So um, yeah, you do definitely want to have things backed up. I use G drive a lot. I put everything that's on true. the drive. Um, you know, it's inexpensive. You can get up to like two terabytes of memory. And so that's where all of our pictures are. Um, and, and I like it because you can share it with different team members, but yeah, if your computers are wiped out, that having a backup, whether it's an external hard drive and, um, and I would, you know, at the, hard, the external hard drive, is it a physical thing you have on your computer? Or are you backing yours up like in the cloud? I'm okay. Knowing that our, our family dinner table conversations are about IT security. <laughs> um, we're not big cloud trusters. Okay. So my family does not back up on a cloud. It, just sometimes Peter tells me half the story and he stops and says, I'll have to kill you if I have to tell you the rest of it. You don't really want to know all of that. So um, 
but I can't, I don't necessarily recommend that for everybody. That's just a Carter family decision. Everything is backed up on um, a hard drive for the computers in, um, in, in all the offices in the house. And once a month, I back up everything on a thumb drive that I keep in a locked file and another one I keep in my car. Okay. Because the opportunity for both the house and the car to blow up at once is at least minimal. Um, I also, anything important, I email to myself. So I can anywhere get, log into my email and access this, that, or the other thing. Anything, any spreadsheet, any document, just it's another little backup I do. I just email it to myself. And um, yes, I also use the Google Drive for a variety of things. And all my photos are on an iCloud. But for my sensitive files, I don't care for cloud-based service. That's only us. I think, June, you're bringing up an important point, and that might be, Jenny, that might be another subject is really cybersecurity, which is really becoming a very, very important subject and for us to be prepared for, no matter in what industry. So I think if we don't have a subject on that, to find an expert and really talking about that with a couple of tips could be a great uh, subject as well, because it's getting important. So for me, it's a combination uh, backup hard drive, backup in the cloud. Uh, but I agree if it's real um, sensitive information, I try to have it, I would prefer to have it on a, you know, on my summon drive and in a, you know, different place stored out, you know, case of fire, la di la di la di. So have it in a bank safe or have it somewhere else. Um, you like know. Your financial personal yeah. documents, financial documents, all yeah. of that's important. And that kind of leads to the next question. What, what plan do you have if your social media accounts are hacked? I've lived through this twice in just a year. Mm -hmm. And um, and I don't, I don't think, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist person, but I feel like the way things happen, that it was targeted. And, you know, depending on what industry you're in, it could just be random or what have you. But both times, the first time I was completely locked out of social media and, you know, I rely on Facebook a lot to communicate with friends and colleagues. I couldn't comment. I couldn't like, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I could just watch everybody on social media. And I had not just my one profile. I have, I have um, three profiles four now, actually. So the first one was my original that I use family members and friends. And um, the one that they targeted me on was my Jenny Norris, the public one. And, um, Somebody said that I had put naked pictures up on the internet, which, you know, I, of course I did that, right? No, of course not. So it was, I was like guilty immediately just shut out. I even had a profile for our dog, Copper, and um, so I could play trivia crack against myself. That was the only reason I set that profile up, but I couldn't comment on any of these logging in as different people. And so, and it took a month. It was got to the point where I would, was going to lose my entire main profile. And um, it was because Johnny Fowler and Bethany McLaughlin, they, they do a lot of business with Facebook. I could actually get to a real human and that helped fix that. And then that got handled. And then most recently it was all the pages that I managed. Those all got hacked um, overnight. I could see what happened. Somebody logged in from Indonesia and um, they went after every profile. They eliminated me as the admin. They changed the names of all the pages. And I, and I know I lost some permanently. I, I don't, I can't recover them because I don't have the access to get in there. Um, and I, like one of them, I just had to start a whole new page again because it was, I, I can't get it back. So that is a risk. And what they put in place is the two factor um, authorization. Mm -hmm. So two step. And I, and I, I, even though as much as I hate that, I think that's the first step in making sure you're not getting hacked, changing your passwords and so forth. Um, I tend to use the same password for everything. 
Yeah. Which is probably not wise. No, absolutely. But, I think yeah. tying into the cybersecurity subject, and you know, I think it is only a question. I think I haven't heard. I have heard more Facebook accounts being shut down and or people lost it uh, this year than ever before. So definitely, I feel it is an important part, and we cannot only rely on this one platform. So we cannot rely just on the conversation and communication on that platform. So I think that is key in securing our key contacts, right? No matter what, have the contact and the list and the links and everything somewhere else, understanding how the best backup of um, you know, intellectual property is working in this scenarios, I think is an important part. Again, I'm not the expert in that specific area, but I feel that is a very, very important subject as well, well under that umbrella. And talking about the backup, so Edie Keach, um, she had her, like her account got hacked before mine did, and so she was able to get hers back by going through um, the goggle people, the, the the virtual reality people, Oculus, that I think Facebook owns. So she was able to get it. That's how she went. It didn't work for me. I ended up buying the things and then I was supposed to try to set it up with my account and they, you know, it, it didn't work the way it worked for her. But one of the reasons, and it wasn't for her, it wasn't so much like, oh gosh, I can't talk to people. It was, it was all the pictures that we upload from our mm -hmm. trips and so forth. Well, put it up on Facebook and then all of a sudden you're, you're going to lose all of that. And she was like, all oh, my grandkids pictures, all these things. I can't believe it. So you can, you can download everything you've ever uploaded to Facebook. You can download those files. It doesn't shut down your account, but um, it, talking about a backup, that probably would be a wise thing to do as one measure. And then the contacts, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if we can download all the people we're connected to. I've never even looked into that. But if I had to rebuild my profile, it would be, I don't know why, I mean, with 4,000 people plus or whatever, I mean, I don't know, I wouldn't be able to replicate that. So I think that's, I think that's very important too. And what's interesting is I've never heard of a hack on LinkedIn. I've never heard of a hack like on, um, on YouTube, people going in and compromising. So I feel like the Facebook platform in general is very much where a lot of this takes place. And um, so, yeah, we definitely should have a cybersecurity person on. I think that would be a great topic. It does happen um, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And just to reiterate what you said, at a certain point, just bring in a professional and get help. Um, we could get compromised anywhere. Um, I do all of my agreements on DocuSign. And mm -hmm. I went to log into DocuSign and it was good because I'll pick up differences in, in fonts and graphics and subtle differences in colors. It was good. And I could not get in. I realized after a while of trying that they were capturing my uh, password wow. and my login. And it's, and it was, uh, and I opened the real DocuSign, put them side by side and just tiny millimeter differences in the graphic design. And then I spent eight hours changing every single password. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I lost my my emails now twice with Facebook. My I had to create a whole new email because they were like, I, I'm out of emails to be able to use to log in. So, um, and then on Instagram, because it's Facebook oriented as well, it can happen. And so when the last pages hack happened, people were coming, well, you should work with so-and-so and they were tagging people. And so I did reach out to this guy because you never know if they're like black hat, you know, cyber they're going to steal stuff or whatever and so i i did and start engaging with the person i thought well maybe he can help me restore my accounts and as we got into it so my niece was looking at his profile and nothing seemed to add up it was like very sketchy so then i stopped the conversation he kept trying to pursue getting me just give me your access give me this i'm like hell no you know um so 
and even John one time got a phone call from supposedly from um, Xfinity and an inbound call. And they're like, oh, there's something wrong with your router and uh, your service. So please give us your access. And he got to the point where they were actually had gone into his computer, like, um, you know, remoted in. And I'm like, and I'm like, what is going on? Because he was asking, I could hear him in the questions. And I said, what is happening? And he said, you know, what it was going on. I said, get out of this right now. I said, because now they can access your computer. And I, and I immediately went and found um, the remote in program they were using. I deleted it off the computer. He had to change passwords. And Xfinity never will never make an inbound call like that. Just like the IRS will never make an inbound call. Yeah, yeah. And they they prey on people. Um, my mom had has friends in Florida and they're elderly and um, the, the man was like one sentence away from them getting their entire bank account drained. These people had made it very legit, like they were from the bank, et cetera. And he was about to give. And so his wife was like, who are you talking to? And they ran to the bank and, um, and were able to talk to the manager and prevent them from having all of their funds drained. So wow. people like that out in the world, I just feel like there's going to be a special place in hell for people that do this to other people that target. And I just feel like if they would just have turned their efforts to good, you know, if they would pursue good endeavors versus trying to rip off people, the world would be a much better place. But it's the reality of what we live in, which yep. is very sad. Yeah. Um, how can you minimize your risk in your client relationships and for your inventory? So how do you minimize? So what do you mean by that? In that case? So this risk, risk mitigation when it comes to inventory and clients, what does that mean? But I think we were talking about, uh, you know, protecting relationships. And I think we covered some of that already during our uh, conversation. You know, if somebody leaves, if, you know, the relationship, you know, what does that do to your client relationships, you know, overall? The other part is inventory as it is out in properties, right? So that there is a huge amount of investment in uh, in a different place. And how is that house protected? What can we do? Are there any zip codes where we also know they have insurance challenges where we might decline to do service in a nice way? Say, very sorry, but this is not, you know, unfortunately, we're not serving this area. So I think what I'm what it, what it means is really evaluating and assessing your risk and the exposure of your risk, because uh, we know, you know, even we might have insurance for replacement. It's a huge undertaking to also showcase and share right i know how much right. time and it has happened i think it's not a question of of uh if it's a question of when mm -hmm. when you're running a business that you will have a, a, a case like that but what's the call of action when are you saying okay i will this is element of where insurance get involvement or we're taking action is that part of loss of your business it's part of doing business and you are having a certain element and amount you are identifying. Uh, that's where inventory manage management plays a major role. So I know how much inventory is in there. How old is that inventory? Um, is there a certain element of recovery, right? Sometimes it's, you know, only a portion of the inventory is removed. Other items might have stayed. So really assessing all of that and then determine um, what do we do? And, you know, because you have to send somebody out, you have to go through the list, what's there, what has has has, has left and then determine what are the cause of action. What value are you putting on the lifetime value of your client? So how does that impact the relationship? I think this is all questions to be asked. Um, if that is inventory, if that is damage, how are we acting? What's our rules, right? 
how do we deal with the situation? I tell the team, no matter what, things can happen, but I want to know first, not me personally, but we know first, and then we'll talk, we'll, we'll communicate to the client. What I Excellent. don't want to happen is that, that the client calls us right. and tells us, you have done that. That's what we try to avoid. Right, exactly. So it's like damage to the property or what have you. I'm like, stuff's going to, accidents can happen, but I don't want to get the call from the client. Like you scratched my floor, you did this. And we take pictures of every property as we come in. And, mm -hmm. and when they leave, they're supposed to take so that because we've been blamed for doing things that I know darn well that we didn't. And then there are times that we have done things that I didn't know about. And then I'm like, gosh, I'm really sorry. And I always will take care of it. Um, the theft issue, you know, that's a reality of what we deal with. And so I know if we're staging a, a property that's kind of in a sketchy area, um, I'm not going to put my best stuff in there. Uh, we have had break-ins. I've been fortunate. I think we've only had two houses that have been ripped off um, in 21 years, which is good. But more recently, it's the occupied houses. And maybe, June, you can talk to this too. It's the owner-occupied. I have an owner-occupied agreement that I had to put together because it helps manage the expectations for what we're bringing in, that it's not a design project, that um, they may not like what we put in there, but it's not being done for them. But it also holds them responsible because they're the ones in the property and living there. And even when the agent is paying for the staging, those homeowners are responsible for our things. And the last two pickups we did, it was like, oh, you know, they had pets, and uh, oh, you know, and one of them, the couch has poo smeared underneath it. So I'm having to cut out the fabric. And, and then and the person's like, oh, that, that couldn't possibly be us. Our puppies potty trained. Sure. I mean, and, and it's, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I don't want to leave negative wake. And um, I let the realtor know and then and the client. And then the, if the client denies that it couldn't possibly be us, I'm not going to get in a fight with them. But what I am starting to do with properties where I feel that cleanliness is an issue and there's pets is a security deposit. And they mm -hmm. pay that up front and um, they, I will return it when we get our stuff back in the same condition that we left it because they're not supposed to be using it. And um, that is a, a newer policy for us. But I don't know what else to do because we had dog hair on stuff. It's like I can't put that back out in a property. I have to take the time to clean it. Um, I don't want to be punitive to clients. However, you know, they need to take care of our things because it's a financial investment. So uh, what would you say to that, June? Well, we just had a very... Um... I just had to add something very specific to the occupied um, agreements. So um, I'm in Florida. There's a lot of older people, older than me. And um, <laughs> and uh, I kind of ended up with a specialty of dealing with older people. In fact, we at IHOSP have a course that I have taught that Jenny's also taught on a senior staging specialist because it is a different market. And um, an elderly lady, it's a very different frame of reference when an older person is um, relocating. They may be, it may be health issues. It may be um, to be with family who can support them. It may be to um, assisted living. It may be their last move. So um, in this case, it was to a lady going into assisted living and she presented better than she was. And when we got there, and this was hands-on occupied, we got there, we found her face down in the washing machine having a stroke. Oh my gosh. Wow. True story. True story. Um, called an ambulance. And the only reason we were able to really help her properly is because she had a friend stop by that day so we could contact blood relatives. So now our agreements say, who do we contact in case of emergency? Smart. So Very I smart. add that to all agreements because um, this, this woman's family had to, she ended up recovering 
We did everything. She never moved back into the house. Yeah, so that's everything you said. And then there's always special circumstances. Yeah, and so that that's the type of thing you, you know, you can't change the past. You learn from it, but adding adding things in because your documents are always a work in progress and protecting your business process, your investment and your items. I had to explain to a, the realtor that one of the houses he picked up that had the dog hair and then a house that were staging for her. These people, their house was like a disaster when they previewed. And so clean is a relative term and I get that, but I'm like, we're furnishing the entire house except for beds. Um, and so they don't have any furniture. The house is empty. So are they going to sit on our furniture? Oh, we promise we're not going to, we're not going to, we won't use any of your furniture. Lie. I know for a fact that they probably will. And they have a pet and they're not going to be 24 seven on that animal. So I was explaining to the agent that it, when, when I've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in items, and these are assets that are income generating for the company, it is a risk to put them in an occupied home. And there's a lot of stagers that won't do occupied bringing product in for that reason. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I don't care if it's a million, $2 million house to a 500,000 or 300,000. The perception is, oh, it's just rented. And especially when they didn't pay for it, if the realtor is paying for it, that's even worse because they have no, there's no value assigned to what was brought in. So um, putting things in place to protect your business is, is so crucial. So crucial. Absolutely. Do you have anything else to add? Barbara? No, I think we have like a QR code at the end if anybody yes. wants, if we're going one more slide. Yes. Yay. <laughs> this one will be in the video. So if you if you're watching, you can scan it with your phone right now. Otherwise it'll be in the in the video to record. And but it's um, working. I tested it. It's, it's working. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Let's stay in touch. Yeah. And I and I really value your time. I appreciate you um, doing this session with me. It's always great to see you. Um, and so those of you watching, of course, every uh, talk show is recorded. So this will be on our YouTube channel, on our homestagingtalk.com um, site, and I'll post it in other groups as well once it downloads. But thank you, ladies. Any last thank words? You. Oh, thank you to Gail, who's making notes. Oh, good, good. <laughs> Some of the topics you spoke about today were topics I'm dealing with right now. Yes, thank you, Gail. Timely. Appreciate any, any, it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Any no, last words? No, no, no action. I think, yes. you know, Put down two or three action in regards to your contingency plan, but also the emergency plan. Maybe a simpler word to it, so that you there is there is there's a backup uh, there yes. for you, and that's I think that's the key message. Thank you. Yeah, Thank and, you and those you those you that need help with um, doing any of this, sign up for June's coaching because she would go through a lot of this, and also consider taking the master's scale course because Absolutely. we go through all the SOPs, how to write them, how to framework, there's templates, there's things that everything's already been framework. You just have to fill in the information and um, that will save you a lot of time. And it's just basically don't wait because nobody can predict the future we plan for, but anything it could happen tomorrow. It could be a year from now. It could never happen, but you want to be prepared. So I appreciate both of you being on and, um, um, the rest of you guys have a great rest of your day and happy Mother's Day to all the moms yes, out there. Enjoy your weekend. Yeah. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Yay.